I've been preaching 39 years, so I'm going to do something this morning I've never, ever done. I, uh, Maverick, I have a sermon finished. Next section in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I have a sermon done, finished, ready to go. It's really good. <laughs> but uh, we're not going there this morning. At 8.30 this morning, I felt compelled to go a different direction. Which I have never done. So we're going to look at a few verses of Scripture. And then I want to tie it in to where we are today, but I think it's pivotal. So I want you to walk with me. I hope you have your Bibles open, your iPads, your phones. I don't care what you use, but I want you to go with me. First of all, we're going to go to Psalm 2. This is the first place we're going. Psalm chapter 2. Actually, Psalm 2. And we're going to start in the first verse. I plan on doing this in Israel at a particular spot, so uh, I want you to bear this in mind. Here's what he says, second psalm. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, that is, they stand against Jehovah and they stand against Jesus, saying, let's burst their bonds apart. Cast away their cords from us. Well, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now, here's the first thing I want us to understand today. The God we just sang to is sovereign. He sits on a throne and nobody takes him off that throne. He's on there. He was on there yesterday. He's on there right now. He's going to be on there tomorrow. He is sovereign. And when the world plots against him and people mock us and laugh at us and make fun of us, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. He still rules. Okay? So there's our first thing. He is sovereign. He is clear. Number two. I want you to go to 2 Peter chapter 1. Right after 1 Peter. 2 Peter 1, beginning in verse 20. This is the second thing I want us to grasp and be clear about today. So number one, we serve a God that nobody takes off the throne. 2, Corinthians, 2 Peter 1, 20. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. At the end of the day, the book you hold in your hand is absolutely, completely, irrevocably correct. It is true. I don't care what it talks about scientifically, historically, geographically. It is amazing in what it says. Book of Job may be the oldest book in the Bible. Maybe the oldest. When people thought the earth sat on something it says in the book of job that he hung the world on nothing that is an incredible statement in a day when everybody else believed it sat on something but the bible's explicitly clear it's absolutely true it's not the only book with truth one of the amazing verses in the bible is in the book of Job, 
where it says that Satan and Michael argued over the body of Moses. That comes from a weird apocryphal book called The Assumption of Moses. So there are books, there are truths out there, but the only book that's true cover to cover is this book. The only book you can lock down in your life and say, I am committed, I can take any verse out of here and apply it to my life and be right. That's this book. There is no other book that's completely true of. It's very clear. The Holy Spirit wrote this book. He did it through men. He carried them along. But this book is absolutely clear. This is our authority right here. Now, number three. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Go there with me. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And if you can't find that book, it's because you're visiting. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The blood of Jesus Christ is completely right, pure, and works. It will wash away your sin. There's nothing you can do to earn it. It is God's gift to you. It is His grace. It will wash away your sin so well that the Holy Spirit can indwell you as a perfect guarantee that when you die, God will bring you home. And until then, you have this incredible ministry where you can be an ambassador for Christ and tell the rest of the world out there who your Jesus is. So there it is. His blood works. It cleans us up. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you think you've done. The blood of Christ is absolutely forgiving. There is nothing in the universe that can bring you peace except that blood. And the great thing is it's just simply a trade. He says, I give him my sin. He gives me his holiness. So when I die, I am as holy as God is because Jesus has given me his holiness. That is absolutely true. There is no other religion. Every other religion demands that you do certain things, even killing people to get into heaven. Our religion, our walk says God killed his son to get us into heaven. We don't do anything to earn it. He did it for us. It is absolute grace. So, he's sovereign. That book is true. His blood works. Number four, Matthew 16. Go to the 16th chapter of the book of Matthew. It's my, one of my top two or three favorite places in Israel. Jesus has his disciples out on kind of a vacation. They're hanging out. And here's what he says. Matthew 16, 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Who do you say I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church. Now listen to what he just said. He really told Peter two things. Peter was right 
in his understanding about Jesus being the Messiah. And then Jesus said, the reason you know that is my Father revealed that to you. I didn't reveal that to you. My Father revealed that to you. So if you're here today and the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and you've responded to that Holy Spirit and you believe what he told you about Jesus and you put your faith in the blood and the trade's been executed on your behalf, then look at what he says. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The fourth thing I want you to understand, the church is absolutely undefeatable. It doesn't matter what happens. It's undefeatable. And the Roman Empire tried. They hated us. They really did two things. Number one, they slandered us. They called us atheists and cannibals. They called us atheists because we said we only believed in one God. And they called us cannibals because rightfully, every week we took the Lord's Supper and we said we ate the flesh and drank the blood of our Savior. So they said we were cannibals and atheists and it had a huge impact. When that didn't work totally, though, they decided to kill us. They became quite creative in that. Remember, Paul talks at the end of 1 Corinthians and says, I fought wild beasts in Ephesus. They would take Christians, wrap them in animal skins, lay them in the arena, and they would let the wild dogs out that had not been fed for two or three days. And so the, the horror was there. The worst thing they did, it was a brilliant move on their part, but they, they didn't have night lights, no electricity, and they wanted to do the games at night. So what they did was they took Christians, dipped them in oil, put them on the top of the Colosseum, and set them on fire so they had lights for their games. We were nothing. We were fodder. We were a joke. We were slandered and killed. And in 200 years, the Roman Empire embraced Christianity as its own personal religion. How in the world did that happen? Because we knew God was sovereign. We believed the book. We stood on his blood. And the Holy Spirit used us in our ministry of reconciliation. As we told people about what we had, it impacted and the Roman Empire absolutely surrendered to the church. And they were vile. I can't even describe you. Pompeii, a city that was covered up by Mount Vesuvius, frozen in time, when it was unearthed archaeologically, there are vile things in the city. I can't even mention in this room that was the normal case. Pompeii was just a regular city, nothing like Corinth, which was so vile that the Greek word Corinthianazo was created for sexual immorality. They were vile. They were filthy. They were despicable. And yet, in spite of what they were, what they did, and what they said, the church was undefeated and conquered an empire that despised it. Last thing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And you're going to love this today because we're going to be fast. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. And then we'll go to Revelation 21. Listen. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those who have no hope. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive who are left into the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command 
with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive or are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Now, listen to, Romans, uh, to Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. First heaven, first earth passed away, the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with him. They will be his people. God himself will be with him as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more death. No mourning. No crying. No pain. The former things are gone. He was seated on the throne and said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. He's coming back. And when he does, those that have mocked us will be dealt with, and those that have honored him will be taken home. He built a new heaven, a new earth, a new world. We don't have any more crying. We don't have any more pain. We don't have any animosity. We don't have any issues, and I'm telling you, he's on his way back. So understand, okay? He's sovereign. Bible's true. Blood works. Church is undefeatable. He's coming back. So, Quit the whining. I don't like the election season. I don't like it. I think it's horrible. I think the two worst people I've ever seen in the history of my life are running for office. We have a woman who is a chronic liar, who do everything for her power and her benefit and her 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 help and she is absolutely a chronic complete liar the other guy is a man who is despicable i would not leave him alone in my house with my wife and my daughter he is evil he is vile he is sick and for the evangelicals that have defended him don't you dare ever talk to me again about character because if character matters you cannot defend a man who has none but here's my deal i don't care you say, well, we got to worry about who gets elected and the Supreme Court and all that stuff. I don't care. Because no matter who gets elected, no matter what they do with the Supreme Court in this country, my God's still sovereign. Amen. His book is still true. His blood still works. This church can't be defeated. And no matter who's on the Supreme Court... When he comes back, they'll know who the real Supreme Court is. So, I'm fine. Do I worry about the outcome of the election? No. Do I hate the fact the Supreme Court may change? Absolutely. Do I hate the fact that we may get a really, really, really strong, no chance of ever overturning abortion? Absolutely. But here's my deal. The government, even the Supreme Court says abortion is legal. They're not compelling people to be aborted. Women are aborting because they choose to. And the only answer to that is the blood of Jesus in their heart. They need to understand when they look at the truth of the Bible, it says you don't take innocent life. And if they've done that, they can come to the blood of Jesus and be forgiven. And if they obey the scripture, they will absolutely not take any more life. The only answer to abortion is not packed in the Supreme Court. It's opening the truth about Jesus. If we don't get it, we wring our hands and we're nervous and we're frightening and we, we manifest no difference than the lost people in this culture 
when we wring our hands the way they wring their hands because we have a hope they do not have. And when we wring our hands, what we say to them is we don't really believe what we believe. Stop the Facebook fear. Stop the Facebook posting about all your hand wringing. Quit it. Put out there. If you're going to tweet and you're going to post, then put out there something on faith that your God runs a show no matter who the president is. Put something out there with some faith. We have got to recover who we are in Jesus Christ. We have got to quit as a church talking big but not believing what we say. And that's really it. We will go to uh, one of the sites my wife and I found, and we leave tomorrow for Israel, but one of the sites we found was the Valley of Elah. It's actually not a site. As a matter of fact, a guide, you have to jump the fence to go down to it. It's its creek bed. Now, the Valley of Elah is where David killed Goliath. And it sounds like when you read the Old Testament story that it's just this neat little story about a little shepherd boy who slingshotted this big dude and knocked him out, what a brave little guy he is and how wonderful it is. And we tell that in Bible school all the time. But in point of fact, the story's far deeper than that. It's the key to the change in the Old Testament. Saul is the king chosen by God. It even says in the Old Testament that Jesus was meant to sit on the throne of Saul. It wasn't supposed to be David. It wasn't supposed to be the throne of David. It was meant to be Saul. But what does he do? He loses the kingdom. Why? Because he molested a kid? Because he had an affair? Because he lied, he cheated, turned his back on God? None of those things. Instead, he literally comes to a point, and this is what God makes him do. He comes to the point, he's had a couple victories, and God takes him to the point where literally, I'm not exaggerating, there are literally 30,000 Philistines across the way. They have more chariots than he has people. He's down about 300 people, and what the Bible says is they have two weapons, right? No other weapons. The only people that have weapons are him and Jonathan. He and Jonathan are the only guys that have weapons. There's no way they can beat these people. These people are going to kill him, crush him, and destroy his people. And when they do, it's no small defeat. They're going to come in and take their wives and children and take them home for their own. This is horrific. And at this moment, with that absolute horror, it's not molestation, it's not adultery, it's not affair, it's all the Baptist things we freak out over. He simply did not trust God. And on that day, God pulled the kingdom away from him, and he says, I've given it to, to, listen, to a man after my own heart. And the proof that he was a man after God's own heart is when in the valley of Elah, he trusted God enough to go, I'm this goofy little shepherd kid, and this is a guy that the entire army is fearful to engage I'm going to go out there and kick him because God's on my side. And he does it. Takes this slingshot, whacks this dude right here, goes over, cuts his head off, and he's the king. Not at that moment, but he becomes the king by God's hand on that day because 
He believed what the Father said, and Saul did not. Now, if we're going to talk big in this church, if we're going to say we believe in the sovereignty of God, and we believe in the book, and we believe in the blood, and we believe that as a church we're invincible, not Little League, but the church, not the Qantas Club, not the Rotary Club, not the Junior League, but the church. We're invincible. And he's coming back for us. Then quit the whining and the hand-wringing and the Facebook posting and the tweeting that is out of fear. And start putting on your pages statements of faith who you are, whose you are, and then it doesn't matter. God always wins. Let's live it, not talk it. Father, I would ask you to forgive me for my own hand-wringing through this. Fix us. So the lost community looks at us and says, why are you not worried? And Father, let them find you, the forgiveness of your Son, and the adoption by the power of the Holy Spirit as a result of us standing on what you say. Drive that into the Brazos Valley through us. I ask you that in Jesus Christ's name. With your heads bowed, eyes closed. You may need to come down here and pray, or you may just need to pray where you are, but it may be time to do a little repenting today and say, all right, I put some stuff out that I put out of fear. I'm going to put it out of faith. And we'll pray with you. We'll do whatever needs to be done. But we need to make sure and be clear in who we are today. And if it's time to do that, as the Holy Spirit speaks to you this morning, you come. If you need to be a part of this fellowship, as God speaks to your heart this morning, you come.